I know the Lord does want to speak to us. He ministered to us so beautifully this morning um, through our pastor, but also through the tongues and interpretation. And I was blessed that the Lord confirmed it quite clearly. So keep your heart open tonight. Yeah. So <clears throat> the Bible is divided into two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Some of you might know that, some of you might not. Um, and in the Bible, the word testament usually refers to a covenant or a commitment between two parties for a specific time. To put it simply, the Old Testament is, uh, it outlines an agreement between God, Jehovah, and his chosen people, the 12 tribes of Israel. And it records the implementation of the Mosaic law, which includes the institution of the many sacrifices <clears throat> that were required to live under the law. It includes the origin of humanity, Adam and Eve, and the experiences of the nation of Israel and their somewhat inconsistent relationship with God. The New Testament outlines a new agreement, one that fulfills the law of the Old Testament through Jesus Christ. Now, this New Testament or covenant is not just for those who are of Abraham's, uh, they're not just Abraham's descendants, it's not just for the house of Israel, it's now for all who want to be a part of it. And the opportunity to step into partnership with Jesus is made available to every single person on the planet. Over the past few months, I have been studying the book of Hebrews. Um, if you're new to studying the Bible, maybe don't choose Hebrews first off. I'm not new to it and it's still a struggle for me. It's a very heavy book. There's a lot in there. But it really gives you an understanding of the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the theme through the whole book is summed up really in one word, and that is better. The new covenant is better than the old. Why? In the Old Testament, the Israelites had to perform various sacrifices in order to temporarily cover their sins. Those sacrifices did not cleanse them of their sin, nor did it make them perfect. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, it says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, that New Testament that was coming, and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. The Israelites were unable to have their sins washed away by following the law of the Old Testament and continually sacrificing the blood of animals. Hebrews 10 and 4 says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. So what could take away our sins? What is it that would be able to do that which the blood of bulls and goats could not? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, we were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus. The wages of sin was death, and death by a sinless lamb. Jesus was that lamb, without spot, without blemish. Ultimately, the New Testament is better than the old because Jesus died on Calvary's hill and paid the price for the sins of the world, for the sins of myself and of you. He paid the debt that we could not pay. And we can now find forgiveness of our sins by submitting to the plan of salvation 
That is to repent, to be baptized in Jesus' name, and to be filled with his spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Who here is thankful for the debt that he paid, that we could not pay? Now, we can and should get excited about this message. The Lord said it tonight. I died for you. He didn't die for the rocks or the plants or the, none of that. He died for us. We should get, it should stir something in us every time it's mentioned. It is what has given us hope for eternal life and escape from eternal suffering. But tonight I want to share with us for a few minutes about another message from Calvary, one that quite often is forgotten, which is the title of this message tonight. And I'll just put a note in here. I did steal it from someone else, but I didn't steal their message, okay? So if you see it on the internet, I did not steal their message. But the title is The Forgotten Message of Calvary. If we turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 to 4, we have read a couple of these verses already. Hebrews chapter 10, verse, starting at verse 1, says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices, which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance, again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Now, I want us to focus here on verse 2 and 3. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. It says, If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshippers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. So for a moment, let's think about this. A Jewish man... He knows that there are sacrifices that need to be made. And uh, he's a shepherd. He has a few sheep and he looks out on his flock and he's looking for this perfect little lamb, one that's healthy. And he cares for that lamb and he looks after it and makes sure that it's kept safe and away from anything that could make it imperfect. And when it is time, he takes this lamb and he makes the journey to the tabernacle to present this lamb in obedience to the law. And they slaughter this lamb. They take its blood and offer it as a sacrifice. Once this is done, this man gets up and he walks away from the tabernacle, taking the long journey home to his house with the same feelings of guilt and shame that he came there with. Every year he was reminded of his guilt that even though he tenderly looked after that lamb and offered it in obedience, still it could not take away the shame of his past actions or those actions that were committed against him. And I've come to tell someone tonight that may never have heard this message about Calvary or maybe you've forgotten and need reminding. When Jesus died on the cross, he did not just take away the stain of your sin. He cleansed you from the guilt and the shame that came with that sin. When you were baptized in Jesus' name, it wasn't just that stain that he washed away. You were able to walk away from the tabernacle, as it were, free 
from the burden of shame. Hallelujah. Hebrews 12 and 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. When Jesus went to the cross, he knew that it wasn't going to be just some quick fix. It was going to be long and painful. It was going to be humiliating. And he didn't want to feel that shame, but he endured it because he knew that it was going to create a pathway for his children to be free from that same shame. Someone wrote this about this, uh, wrote this, um, this thing about this scripture. By using this word shame, the writer of Hebrews was telling us that Jesus experienced on the cross as he hung naked and broken in full view of the world as was, that it was disgraceful, deplorable, despicable, and reprehensible. It was a horrible thing, and he felt it all. So what is shame? There are many different Hebrew and Greek words in the Bible that are used for the English word shame. Most of them uh, talk about, they, to feel shame is to feel disgraced. It's to feel dishonored, reproached, embarrassed. Anyone ever felt embarrassed? Right. Humiliated. Shame is often linked to feelings of worthlessness. And often the word shame in the Bible is also linked closely to the idea of being uncovered or made bare or to be naked. None of us have to spend too much time thinking to remember the times that we felt humiliated. There are those times that we can kind of brush off that we're just, you know, we made a silly mistake or we fell over it on the path and then got up hoping no one saw us. And there are other things that we have been humiliated by or embarrassed by, something that maybe we've done or something that's been done to us. So we're going to turn to the first time this feeling of shame was recorded and it's in Genesis chapter 3. Many of us know this story. It's the story of the fall of humanity. Eve, the first woman, she's standing near to the tree that she was forbidden to eat of. And who should be hanging around but the enemy of her soul, the serpent. And we know that Satan convinces Eve to eat of the fruit and she in turn shares it with her husband. We pick up in verse 6 of Genesis chapter 3. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, And that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat. And gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Adam and Eve were naked before they ate the fruit. They didn't suddenly become naked. But what happened when they ate the fruit is that their conscience came alive And they felt shame. They knew they had done something wrong and now had an awareness of that guilt and shame that sin brings with it. What did they do with that when they felt that horrible, gut-wrenching, humiliating feeling? We read that they sewed fig leaves together and made aprons. They tried to cover up their shame. When we make bad choices or bad things have happened to us, what's our initial reaction? 
We try to pretend it didn't happen. We try to solve the problem. We try to sow fig leaves, as it were, and and cover ourselves up with our man-made way. Shame drives us to detach ourselves from being known. We remove ourselves from anything or anyone that we think might bring our shame into the light. Genesis 3 verse 8 and 9 says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and he said unto him, Where are you? Most, if not all of us, can remember a time when we heard the voice of the Lord walking to and fro, searching for us. Some of us, even now, sitting on these seats, can hear the voice, and we are spiritually hiding, eyes closed shut, hoping that he doesn't find us and see our second-rate covering of fig leaves. My brothers and sisters, I want to point out something to us about this story. God knew that they had made a terrible choice. He knew that they had disobeyed him. And yet, he still showed up. He still showed up. He didn't stand them up, but he was faithful and came to their usual meeting place, ready to commune with them, knowing that they had not kept up their part of the bargain. The Lord knows where you are hiding. You can't hide. So Adam responds in verse 10 to 12, and he says, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree whereof I commanded you that you should not eat? The Lord reaches out and asks them, Who told you that you were naked? What happened that made you feel uncovered and humiliated? I love that the Lord at this point is offering them an opportunity to tell him their problem. And when the Lord calls out for us, when we hear him say, Where are you, Emma? He's looking for me to respond. Not so he can wipe me off the face of the planet, but so I can invite him into my situation, into my shame, my guilt, whatever the circumstance is. I wonder what might have happened if they had all stopped blaming someone else and had taken responsibility for their actions. And we could speculate for hours and not know the answer. What we do know is that their attempt to cover themselves was not enough. Their fig leaves may have looked good, They may have looked as though they covered things up. But the Lord instituted the first animal sacrifice in verse 21 and said, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. Blood was shed and they were clothed. It was only the covering that the Lord provided that could take away their shame. God provided us a covering, the man Christ Jesus who came and spilled his very real blood on the cross so that we might not just have forgiveness of sins, but that we might be free from the bondage and the effects of that sin. 
the forgotten message of Calvary. So how do I know if I have shame? How does it show up in our lives? I did some research on the impact of shame and one of the first thing that comes up is exactly what Adam and Eve did in the beginning. People who have unresolved shame hide. They're defensive and they don't allow anyone to get too close just in case what they feel they have to hide becomes seen by others. When we feel shame either from our current situation or we're triggered to remember a previous experience, that shame can hijack any logical thought pattern and we respond to the situation with emotion. It can even impact our physical posture. We can become sunken over, trying to disappear as it were or be inconspicuous, trying to carry the burden of our shame. When we feel shame, we take rejection very heavily. We are worried about what other people will think of us. Shame has this way of making us see ourselves through glasses that always show a negative lens. We can often hear ourselves say, and I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm this person, I'm such a failure. Don't be so stupid. Why did you do that? One of the most terrible impacts of shame on our lives can be that we start to believe that we are unlovable and unworthy. And this is so detrimental to our relationship with God and with the body that he has adopted us into. Galatians 4 verse 4 to 7 says, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. The word servant in this passage is also often translated as the word slave. Before we met Jesus, we were slaves, bound to sin and the impact of it on our lives, including this feeling of shame. But we have been delivered from this bondage and have been given the opportunity to become children of God. So what are some of the characteristics of a slave? They have absolutely no rights. They are owned by their master and cannot leave. They are bound to serve someone else. And there were often people who had no other way of paying their debt, so they would work as a slave to pay that debt off. The characteristics of a son or a daughter or a child is that they have rights. They have access to all of the resources of their parent. They become heirs to an inheritance and they don't have to pay anything to be a son. When we are redeemed through repentance and baptism, the infilling of his spirit, we become sons and daughters, children of God. So let me ask you a question tonight. Why are some of us still living as slaves? Just like Brother Gavin said this morning, why are some of us still living in prison? Galatians 4.9 says, But now after that you have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage. We were set free from sin, 
But too often we have continued to carry the feeling of shame when ultimately Jesus took that on the cross as well. Why do we return to being a beggar or a slave desiring to be placed back in bondage? We walk around burdened, constantly reaffirming to ourselves that we're not good enough, that we're not loved, and that we're not worthy of the sacrifice Jesus made on Calvary. Hebrews 10 mentions those that have trodden underfoot the Son of God and have counted his blood as unholy or common or not powerful enough. If I do not accept his whole sacrifice, all that he did for me on the cross, including the removing of shame, then it is as if it has no effect on me. Romans 5, starting at verse 5, says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. The hope that we have in Jesus, it's not a shameful thing. It won't disappoint or humiliate us. His love is poured out in our hearts. How? By the Holy Ghost. That's why it's so important to seek after the Holy Ghost. Because when you're filled, it's like a constant reminder. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely... For a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God, it's one of my favorite scriptures, but God commendeth his love toward us, toward Emma, in that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Do you know what the word commendeth means? It means to show. God showed us. He didn't just tell us that he loved us. It wasn't just empty words. He showed us. Many people will say things to our faces, and we've had people say, you know, I love you. But their words are empty because what happens is their actions don't match up with what they've said. But that's not with the Lord. What he says, he does. He backs up his word with his actions. Help us, Lord, to truly accept what you did on Calvary, the whole package, all of it. Verse 9 says, Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. To justify something or someone is to render them innocent. Someone said it's as though you never sinned. We are justified through the plan of salvation And if you've been baptized in Jesus' name, if you've had his blood applied to your life, then you are justified. You are innocent. You are innocent. And if you sin after you've been baptized, then you present yourself before the Lord and repent. And you know what happens again? You are innocent. You are justified. Hebrews 10 verse 16 says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities 
will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Do you know what boldness looks like? It's not this. Is he, is he going to love me? Is he, is, he gonna, is he just going to strike me down? No. I can go, man, I've made a bad choice. This is really bad. You should feel guilt. You should feel conviction. Don't get me wrong. But I can go, Lord, I've sinned. I repent. I ask for your forgiveness. I'm really sorry. Will you please come and cleanse me? And I can believe that and I can walk away. And I'm innocent. I'm justified. We have the opportunity to enter boldly into the holiest. How? By the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Let's not walk away. Let's not push away. Let's not hide. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That sometimes forgotten message of Calvary is that we don't have to carry around the shame of the past or the present. Whatever was done to you or that you did to yourself or that you did to others has been washed away. All of it. The guilt, the shame, those feelings of worthlessness are not of God. Our hearts have been sprinkled from an evil conscience. That guilt, it's been washed away. But you see, it's easy enough for me to stand up here and preach words. It's another thing to believe it for yourself. The enemy would like nothing more than to convince you that you are not worthy of the love of Jesus. And he does that through our minds. He tries to convince us to believe lies are truth. And I believe the Lord is asking us tonight another question that he asked way back in the beginning. Who told you that you were naked? Who has been reminding you of things that happened decades ago that I've already covered? Whose voice are you listening to? Who told you that you were naked? When you hear those lies, how do you respond? You see, we can't just let those things enter our minds and not respond to them. We have to counteract the enemy's attack. So how do we do that? Well, there are a few things I believe will help us overcome shame. And I can share these because it's my personal experience. So if I get a bit emotional, just bear with me. I can 100% stand here and tell you that they work. About five years ago, I made some bad choices. And those choices brought sin into my life. And with that sin came guilt and shame. And first of all, I did what Adam and Eve did. My first reaction was to hide, to pretend that everything was okay. Everything's fine. I'd come to church. Yep, look the part, dress the part. Let me tell you, this is the number one reason people don't ever overcome their shame. You can only be healed of the things that you bring into the light. You have to bring it to the light. 
all of it, not just the parts that you think are easy or the, the, the good, bad choices that you've made. You've got to bring all of it. First of all, you have to bring it to the Lord. When he says, where are you? You have to answer. I'm here. I'm a mess. I feel really bad. And I'm sorry. You have to repent and ask him to forgive you. I wish I could say that was all it took for me to overcome, but it wasn't. That got me first off right with God. That was number one. I can tell you now that if you have been struggling with shame and guilt for any length of time, just going to the Lord about it may not be the only thing that you need to do. Our pastors have been divinely appointed to lead each of us closer to Jesus so that we might make it to heaven. They pray for us and they love us more than we will probably ever comprehend. And they grieve for us when we struggle, but we refuse to share that struggle with them. Once I repented, I knew that I needed to go to my pastor. I needed to come clean and bear all, as it were. And I remember that night, I was going to tell him about everything. I don't think I slept for about three days. And I definitely didn't eat, and it wasn't because I was fasting. I was just absolutely terrified. I had someone talking in my ear. You're naked. Don't show them. They'll make you feel terrible. They'll kick you out of the church. Obviously, that wasn't right because I'm still here. And now I think about it, and I'm, it sounds completely irrational. But that's what shame does. It makes you believe lies. It makes you act with crazy emotions rather than what you know is true. And I know that speaking to someone and bearing details of your past can be absolutely terrifying because like me, you hear the same voice that I heard and you may have shared your feelings with someone before and been hurt. But let me tell you of my experience. I remember sitting on their couch and I had absolutely no idea how to begin this story and so I just kind of blurted it all out at once I can't even remember what I said but it was just this is it and it was the most bittersweet moment I've ever experienced because I knew that this would make there would be some changes in my life that I would have to go through and maybe some humbling but it was also the biggest release that I had ever felt although right there and then all of my horrible choices were out in the open for others to see, especially my pastor, I remember right then and there, my pastor's wife came over to my side of the couch and she held me tight and cried with me. And then my pastor sitting there, he came and he prayed for me and he put his hand on my head and sat next to me. And in that moment, all I could feel was love. It wasn't shame that I felt anymore. It was pure love the kind of love that Jesus showed us on Calvary. It's a love that I felt as a witness in my spirit that Jesus was still with me. The pastor didn't pay me to say any of this, by the way. <laughs> but I have truly come to realize the great need of each individual in this place to be open and honest with their pastor, with the leader God has placed in their lives. Is it easy? Nope. Is it embarrassing? Yep. 
May they sometimes say things that might feel a bit harsh? Probably, but they're human. Is it worth it? Absolutely. It was the next step in the removing of shame from my heart. It was the next step in my restoration. Now, was that the end? No. It was just the beginning. And there were other people I had to speak with. There were changes that had to be made in my life that, to be honest, were very humbling. The next step in being able to walk away from shame was found in Hebrews 12. Just prior to the verses we're about to read, the writer of Hebrews is talking about chastening and how it's not a nice feeling. And I preached about that last time. Verse 12 and 13 of Hebrews 12 says, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Even though I had to endure some chastening, some discipline from the Lord, and although it didn't feel so great, I knew I had to lift up my hands and I had to strengthen the feeble knees by dancing. Worship in that moment was hard because although the Lord had forgiven me, I still felt that shame. I'd raise my hands and think, how can I stand here before God and worship him when I've been such a sinner? But each time I did, each time I was obedient to his word, each time I decided I was going to worship him, it got easier and easier and easier. Every time I had to offer up what little lame offering I had so that it could be healed. When you see me dancing down the front here, I can be quite exuberant, I know. But it's not to grab your attention. It's because he's done so much for me. It's to grab his attention. To show him how grateful I am that he took the shame away. He took the shame away. He took the shame away. There are so many other little things that I could list that will help, but... The last thing I will mention is something I still do to this day, five years later. You see, the enemy still likes to take me back. And he whispers, God still remembers what you did. He holds it against you. You're not worthy of love, Emma. You're rejected. And when these lies, and that's what they are, they're lies, come into my head, the only thing that can counteract that attack is truth. Proverbs 22.10 says, Cast out the scorner, and contention shall go, away, go out. Yea, strife and reproach shall cease. I cast that voice out of my head. I tell the enemy to get behind me, that he is not welcome in my mind. And then I remember scriptures like this one. Isaiah 54, verse 4 and 5. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed. Neither be thou confounded. For thou shalt not be put to shame, for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth and shall not remember the reproach of thy widowhood anymore. For thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name and thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth shall he be called. Or Isaiah 43 and 25. 
I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Let's stand. Can I please have a musician? Church, the message of Calvary today isn't just that there is forgiveness of sins, although that is powerful and amazing and wonderful, and we should want that. But there is also freedom from your shame and your guilt. You can be free from the things that have held you captive for a long time. You no longer have to be a slave. You have been adopted and are now a child of God. Revelation 3 verse 18 to 20 says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. This is the Lord speaking, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and I'm knocking. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. The Lord is calling out, where are you, my child? Who is it that told you you were naked? I have a garment prepared for you that will cover you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. These altars are open today. If you want to present yourself to him, he's not going to turn you away. He's not going to shame you. This is a safe place. His love is here and he wants to clothe you tonight. He wants to remind you that you are loved, that you are worthy. That you are who he died for on the cross. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah.